0: Dealer, I'm feeling it hit me. Welcome to The Grid. I am your host, Jennifer Shahadi, and we'll be taking a 13 by 13 episode journey through every possible No Limit Hold'em hand. 169 hands in total, from aces to seven deuce offsuit. Each episode, I'll interview another top poker player or personality about their hand. Once a combo is taken, it's gone. So this podcast will become progressively more difficult as hands like Ace King are removed from the grid. Whether you spend hours poring over grids as you study poker, love to listen to hand history pods while grinding cash, or are just interested in absurd scavenger hunts, we're gonna have some fun. You got the cards, dealer, I'm feeling it hit me.
1: Yeah, I got swagger. They see me, see me in all sweating daggers. Believe it, I'm the real thing. But I gotta switch it up.
0: Hello everyone, and welcome back to The Grid. Today I have a very special guest. It is KL Cleeton, AKA High Hands 89. He is an online poker professional, a streamer, and the creator of Range Trainer Pro. He's also the manager of Learn Pro Poker. And today he's going to bring us a hand with Jack7Suited from the 2017 World Series of Poker and a hand against the high-stakes professional and WSOP champion Harrison Gimbal. Now, Kale actually got into this competition through a contest run by Daniel Negrano and found himself sitting on a decent-sized stack going into day three of the competition. You're going to love this hand. KL, hey, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Hey, it's my pleasure. I, uh... I've, I've been a really big fan of the pod ever since you began, and I'm just super honored that I'm able to take up uh, a spot on the grid.
0: Yeah, well, it's a good one. Jack7 suited. And you got into this competition via contest that Daniel Negrano ran, right?
1: Basically, my poker group, uh, we had a, a straight group. They were like, "Tail, what are you doing? Submit a damn video now. And it was like the day before the end of the competition. And so, that's what I did. I submitted a video. My parents, or my primary caregivers, my condition is such that um, I always explain it kind of like being paralyzed from the neck down, but I feel everything. And it's something called spinal muscular atrophy. It's a genetic disorder, and basically, it just means that I'm not able to... Uh, move my arms and legs and so for everything that I I need to have done, I need assistance if I need an itch scratch or a drink or someone to show me my poker hand or someone to move my poker chips uh, I need someone to do that for me and so I put a video together uh, with my dad and basically long story short we ended up getting a spot in the main event and I got to play with some of the world's best players, specifically on day three. My day three table was not one that anyone would want to have in the main event, but fortunately, it worked out.
0: You had Harrison Gimble on your table, but you had a lot of other strong players. You're saying it was just like a, a nightmarish WSOP title.
1: It really was. I had Michael Acevedo on my direct fight, which if you're going to have... Michael Acevedo anywhere. You want him on your direct, right? Michael is who I consider to be the godfather of modern GTO theory. He is just a absolute monster when it comes to putting together a GTO game plan and making the GTO game plan really, really um, understandable for everyone. I'm a huge fan of his Fortunately, um, since then we've actually stayed in contact, and now I actually get to work with him on a daily basis as he is putting together some training materials for learned per poker, um, which I am a part of. And I also had, as we will find out in the hand, Harrison Gimble uh, across the table from me. I had a couple of Russian players, one of which who had won a bracelet earlier in that same uh, year was on my right as well. I can only specifically recall one actual that I would consider to be a recreational type player um, other than myself, obviously. So yeah, it was definitely not an ideal lineup.
0: One of the things I find really beautiful about poker is that you form these relationships with people and then sometimes you can trace back to a time before you worked with them or knew them well, that you were just sitting at the same table. And so when you talk about Michael and how you're now working with him on Learn Pro Poker, I can't help but think of so many cases in my poker life where I met somebody like five years after and became friends with them. And like we were like, oh yeah, we played at like the WPT together.
1: It's a zero sum game. You know, in order for one player to win, another has to lose, and you can have those relationships that are forged in a, a, an environment that is specifically designed to pit people against each other. And it's just a real dichotomy in human interaction.
0: So let's get into the hand because it is a really good one. You want to just take us from the, the top pre-flop?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it begins with uh, me in the big line with Jack7 suited. Uh, Harrison Gimble opens, there is a call, and then I obviously defend. Not really sure there's much to talk about. First lap.
0: What position did you say he was in again? Did you say hijack?
1: Yeah, he went a hijack. And he, you know, obviously knowing the end in the big blind, is probably opening a tiny bit lighter than, uh, than he might normally. But at the same token... You can also contract his range a tiny bit, as he's got multiple very good players between himself and me in the big who will definitely be free betting at the appropriate frequency.
0: You go to the flop and you have the jack seven of clubs and it's 10 for four with two clubs, right? So you've got yes. the flush draw and what happens next?
1: Obviously, I check my option. In the deadline I uh, don't see any reason at all to lead this board. Just as a quick aside, I really hate when people call uh, leading a board at a position without the pre aggression. I hate when people call that dunking. I realize that it's, it's, you know, like nomenclature, but it has a really negative impact. And from a theory and logic, Perspective. There are tons and tons of times in which we should lead on boards. It's it's not a bad move. There are reasonable times to do it, and there are correct times to do it. It has a negative impact, but I don't think it deserves. Having said that, I do end up checking my option, Dimble That's twenty three hundred into a pot of. 5,800, the player who had called pre-flop folds, and it gets that to me. And this is one of those spots where this board is very hard for him to represent really anything at all. He has very few 10x combinations. He has almost no 4x combinations. And I have almost every 10 nearly every four possibility, um, reasonable possibility. And then I also would want to check-raise some of my flusters, which is what I end up having here. But I would end up doing, I would check-raise all of those hands, my fours and my flusters, in order for balance. You know, I want to have, have some really strong hands, and then I also want to have some semi-bluff some tactile those as well. So, knowing all of that, I elect to raise from his 2300 and I end up making it very small, which um, I only go to 5800 Looking back, it's a really massive mistake um, on my part. On the one hand, what I do is I retain a higher SPR in order to be able to barrel off uh, a lot more. But on the other hand, I'm basically incentivizing almost every single hand to hold here. And that is just a really big mistake on my part. Learning is a continuum, and you're never finished learning. And that's why I love this hand, because I was implementing new things that I was just learning. I wasn't doing them perfectly, But I was doing them, and that's the important part. That is the thing that I hope people will take away from it. It's not always about being perfect. It's about trying new things and then improving whenever you don't do it perfect.
0: Let's go through the rest of the action um, as well. So 10-4-4 with the two clubs. So you've got the the flush draw and you make the check raise. You said he's incentivized to call with almost anything now. And he does indeed call. He
1: does. And you go to a turn. So on the turn, it's another 10. And this is actually the gen card. What I'm doing in the hand and the story I'm trying to tell. Uh, it basically freezes every single one of his overpairs. Because he was already drawing very, very thin against my thought trips. My occasional check raise with a strong 10X is now basically almost dead with his overpairs. It's just a really good hand, a really good turn. The interesting thing is, if we think about it, I don't know that it's the best card to check, raise, and then that because it's a bit of a meta game thing, but most recreationals, when they hit gen like that, they want to, like, check and encourage action. And I know this. Like, I'm like, maybe he views me in this manner. So what if I don't barrel here? What if I check, raise, check, and then try to get an off-hand on the river. Or if I end up making a flush, I can value that small and hopefully get called by, like, an overpair or something like that. And so that's what I like to do. I like to check. He does the thing, unfortunately. And the river is what I, at the time, called a banana. And what I mean by that is it just... Didn't matter. It was a, a offsuit low card where it just didn't do anything to change the board. It was a very static card, and this is where the moment was kind of intimidating. But I hope that I I used it to my advantage a little bit. The pot is a little bit over seventeen thousand by this point, and I elect to that relatively small in an effort to tell the story that, hey, Harrison, I have a really strong hand here, and I want you to call me so I can get value from it. Obviously, I don't, but hey, he doesn't know that, right? Maybe he'll believe the story that I'm telling. So I had that 61 into a little over 17, and he thinks for. I'm going to guess it was probably two minutes, but at the time, it felt like five days. And he looks at me, and he goes, if I fold, will you show? And me, being the inexperienced live player that I am, immediately jumped on that and took that to mean he was definitely folding. And I said, yeah, I'll show you. When what I should have said is, if you call... I might not show. Because who knows if he would have, you know, if, if he was going to call or, or fold. He ended up folding cleans face-up, and I showed Jack7. And I got to be, like, the golf pro about two-thirds of the way through rounders and say, hey, I blessed the ringer. So it was, uh, it was a really big moment for me. It was a big confidence boost, and... I really believe that hand gave me the self-belief um, in order to make it through to the money and eventually uh, make a pay jump and undeniably the biggest tournament of my life up to that point.
0: That's an amazing hand history and such a great story. Um, I I have so many questions about this hand, but I, I let's uh, we already talked a little bit about the flop about how nowadays you would just you would often check raise with that pretty specific hand, but you would check raise bigger. Um, and then you, you you talked about the strategy in the turn as well, um, but let's let's also talk about it from Harrison's point of view, um, particularly on the river. I'm really interested in his decision because I feel like. It's a, it's a really tricky one for him there. Do you, do you happen to recall, did he have the Queen of Clubs? Maybe if he was, like, really close, that was a tiebreaker for him? Because um, he basically doesn't want to have it, right? So that you're more likely to have the...
1: He does not want to have it because that gives me more misfluster condos. He ended up, I, I don't believe he did. Honestly, I was, I was so excited that I got the bless through that... Uh, I I didn't specifically look, but I'm pretty sure it was the Queen of Spades and not the Queen of Clubs. But having said that, you're exactly right. On the river, it is such a difficult decision because basically what he has to ask himself is, does the story that I have tried to tell in this hand, does it make sense? You know, would I... Check raise thought, check turn, and then only about a third pot on the river, slightly over a third pot, with my you know with my my missed draws.
0: I think the fascinating thing about the hand for me now is also looking back, um, you know, three years. It's. It's a spot where having queens, you know, it's not really that amazing to have queens there because it doesn't really um, block any of your value hands. It's almost like one of those weird spots where if he had ace-king off, it might actually be a better call because you um, probably one of your... If I'm in his shoes there and I'm playing against what I think is an amateur player, I also have to tell you with that like smallish bet on the river, it's kind of screaming that it could be a four that, you know, you want to get your value with a four. But now you have queens and it's like, it'd be really cool to have an ace in your hand so that you don't have ace four off, which is like the biggest combo of ace-ax. I mean, is the biggest combo of 4 x available there because it's probably the only offsuit one that you call pre, I don't know, maybe five-four off or something, but, you know.
1: Yeah, exactly. You're absolutely that. It's funny how your memory works. I remember my logic at the time more than I remember things like exact debt sizings and things like that. Like it's it's funny how how you know human memory works. But everything you're talking about are exactly things that went through my mind in hand in order to try to sell my my story in order to tell the, the story in the best way possible.
0: I definitely think it's a really tough spot for him. And actually part of me feels like it's actually just like a sensational and very, very disciplined fall that you know, in, in context with all the information that you gave, I completely relate with it, and I think that most players wouldn't be able to make that fold as Harrison because of the absolute value of their hand, right?
1: And it's funny you say that because immediately after the hand, one of the uh, Eastern European players who was sitting on my on my right turns, and we've been chatting all day, um, you know, friendly, and he turns to me and he goes. Do you know who that is? And I know I know exactly who that is. That's why I told that. and um, because I knew he, along with you know some of the more seasoned players, would be the exact type of people that would hopefully understand the story I was trying to tell in order to make a discipline lay down in order to make, uh, you know what some might consider a tight fold when the vast majority of the time, I just have a four there or, or better um and so your home's not correct. it is uh, it's a disciplined play that will absolutely make him a lot of money in the long run. I just got really lucky in that in that exact moment.
0: I ended up having a death. Yeah, amazing. And again, the hand was ten, four, four with the two clubs, another ten, and then what you call a banana on the river with the three. And for those of you who are not as versed in like, you know, the solver strategy and the blockers, the reason I'm saying like having an ace in gimbal spot might be nice is cause it's unlikely that In this case, KL has any hand in between queens and ace-king. I mean, lower than... That would actually be, like, jacks or something that queens would actually beat. He doesn't have any value that queens beat, right? So it's either a value hand that's better than queens or it's a bluff, right? I mean... Exactly. And that's because of the fact that the 10x has been removed as one of those potential hands. On On the flop, of course, he does have lots of... Lots of your value hand he beats because you could make that check raise with... Ace-10 or Jax, but then that Ace-10 suddenly makes um, a boat and Jax probably kind of slows down. And most likely you would have 3-bet Jax pre-flop.
1: 100%. I just had so many 4X I And mean, I I had quite a few of the suited 4X combos. Um, I had a ton of, uh, you know, I basically all Ace-4. And then I, I had... Four five off as well. And then I had like four four five suited, four six. Even something like four seven and four eight suited multiway at the time I could see me definitely peeling pre flop in the big blind. And I would do that now a hundred percent. I think mean, there are basically no suited hands that I would fold pre flop in this exact situation.
0: I also like this hand because it's that classic question of Um, will you show if I fold? And I think that a lot of times people say that when they've already made the decision to fold and they're just looking for like one final live tell that might nudge them the other way. Um, And apparently you passed the test, but you also had um, your dad with you, of course. You always play with your dad. And Mm -hmm. he, um, was he like really sweating on that hand? I can imagine that must've been difficult to have that like three minute tank between the two of you. Now Now it's like a six minute tank.
1: Yeah, so basically, I always tell people, my dad and I are different players, but at the same time, like, he sees what I have, obviously. Like, you can't avoid seeing what I have. He has to look at the hand in order to make sure that I can see it. You know, logically, if he can see it, I can see it. And it's one of those deals where... We we've had so many conversations after a hand has taken place on breaks or whatever where we've we've talked about this line or, or that line and you know obviously it's it's always a, a fun conversation, but you're hundred percent correct. He feels a certain level of, you know, stress in order to to, you know, maintain his poker face, if you will. He's in a situation where he never really knows exactly what I'm going to do. And so sometimes my play is just as surprising to him as it is to my opponents. Um, And so it's particularly difficult uh, for him to maintain... Not difficult, but it's particularly important, I should say, for him to continue... To, to maintain and yeah he's he's never ever ever flinched not even once in the hands that we played and so obviously people people do look at him and try to pick something up but nobody's nobody's ever gotten anything from him and i can confidently say nobody ever will but having said that after the hand's over sometimes he will look at me and he'll say whoa that was stressful. And it's fun to, to have those experiences.
0: Sorry, I, I think it's unethical for somebody to get a read off your dad. I don't know. Do you, maybe, maybe unethical is harsh, but I just can't imagine looking at myself in the mirror after, like, you were the player. Like, I.
1: Yeah, so it's funny you say that. I was playing a circuit event, and uh, a well known circuit traveling grinder, uh, I was playing a name. Uh, circuit event and we sat down and the player looked at dad we'd never played together um yet we knew each other from from twitter but it was it he looked at dad and he goes sir do you know how to play poker and dad was like i'm sorry like, like we, we didn't understand the question like obviously he knows how to play poker He's, moving my chips and things like that. He's like, no, you don't understand. Like, do you know what you're doing? Like, do you play regularly? And Dad's like, I mean, Dad yeah, I, I, I played ochre. Okay. It was almost like he was trying to figure out if he should look at Dad in order to uh, understand if my line made sense or something like that, or if, or if my play made sense. It was kind of odd and uncomfortable and awkward, but I mean, it was, it was just one of those things that you just kind of roll your eyes and, and hopefully you dust and basically, is, is the way I look at it.
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I'm totally sure some people, like, they can't help themselves. They just, like, are, you know, especially if the action is on in the river, that they do, they do look, but almost like unconsciously but i think like actually trying to get a read consciously off of somebody who is not the actual buying in player but just there to help you with the mechanics is not really cool now speaking of that like how does it work and what is like the most challenging aspect of it um, in terms of, like, the logistics?
1: Uh, obviously, I'm the player in poker. Fortunately, everything, uh, you know, verbal is binding. So whatever I say is the action that's made. Uh, but Dad is there to, you know, in addition to handling anything that I might need, like a drink or, or whatever, uh, he shows me my hand, protects my cards, makes sure that, you know, they don't, they don't get fouled in some way, uh, or whatever, and then moves my chips and makes uh, my action, and then hopefully uh, stacks my chips back up at the uh, at the end of the hand as well. But whenever we're playing, whenever I'm playing, I say we, you know, kind of as the collective. He obviously... tournaments that are ten-handed end up getting very very tight, very, very fast. Basically, what we do is we tell the the floor or the tournament director, uh, you know, hey, we're here, we're going to be playing. Usually, this is the way it works. And what we just tell them is, if you can give us a table that is going to be 9 max instead of 10, that would be awesome because the rest of the players at the table would very much appreciate it in addition to us. But other than that, I mean, usually people are super intimidating, you know. Players, they they know what is going on. They're they're always more than welcoming and and generally happy to shift around in order to, to make room if needed. Because, you know, at the end of the day, you're fitting a wheelchair and a person in a spot that is normally dedicated for just... One person, but people uh, people are always super kind and generous, both with their space and uh, any you know patience if we need to to move things around. And then from there, it's uh, hopefully they are as kind and generous with their uh, chips towards me. I bet most like, poker players uh, do
0: do try their their best to take every chip, regardless of how much they like their opponents. A hundred percent. What about the showing you the cards? Is that ever difficult, just logistically? Like how did like what does he do exactly in terms of like other people maybe being able to see them?
1: Yeah, so basically, he always sits on that list. So that's the left side it is almost never an issue. It's just making sure that it's protected on the right. But other you know, basically we, we use our surroundings a lot like most poker players do. You know, a bottle of water, uh, maybe a, a stack of chips on on one side and then, you know, he will uh, he'll kind of lean forward just a little bit, pull the clouds in close to the rail and then peel them up where only I can see it and uh, no one else can. We've been able to sit next to a few people that we know uh, just away from poker in general. And what we've done is basically a couple of times just been like, hey, when we're not actually in a hand, when we're not actually playing a tournament, we'll borrow a deck of cards from the floor or something. And we'll say, hey, sit here and try to see my hand, and, uh, you know, we've kind of perfected uh, a few things in order to make it where they can't, and, you know, in general, people aren't scumbags; like people don't try to look at your hand. Uh, I would hope that, you know, someone, if they could happen to see something, they would ask the hand to say, you know, I saw the Side of clubs or whatever it is, just like I do for other people. If someone is is not protecting their their hand, and uh, you know, I've I've sat next to a a, a few older uh, players who you know they need to have the cards kind of away from them in order to to see with their glasses, and you know not through any fault of anyone, but you know you accidentally catch a glimpse and. and I've heard people say, hey, uh, just so you know, I was able to catch the, the whatever it is, maybe maybe try something a little bit different. And that, whenever I witness that, is always, like, really heartwarming to me personally because it shows that, in general, people are still decent and good uh, and not skinny, uh, if you will. Um, and that's a really important thing, especially in the poker community. You know, we have to police ourselves, it seems like, uh, now more than ever, uh, from, from bad actors. And it's nice whenever people do the right thing in the moment.
0: Absolutely. And I know people are very appreciative of all your um, good work in the community. And I do want to ask, because you, you talk about the mechanics of making it possible for you to play. Um, is there anything mm-hmm. that you think, like one thing you think that would just in general make poker more accessible to people with disabilities?
1: A hundred percent. Make it eight or nine max. Literally, that is one thing that every tenant or cashier in, in the country should do that wouldn't be significantly difficult or expensive. Um, obviously, you would have to, add an extra table for every eight or nine tables, that would make life so much easier for so many people with mobility impairments because it would just give everyone at the table, not just people with with mobility impairments, but, you know, even able-bodied people, just a little bit more room to be at the table to get around if they need a little bit of extra room. Um, it's not a deal because there is that extra room available. And you know, if you try and fit 10 people on a table and then you know, try and add in another person as an assistant, I mean, that's like putting two cans of sardines in one can. It doesn't fit. Something really easy, simple, uh, hopefully not expensive, that everybody should be.
0: Absolutely. That's a great recommendation. Now, who's happier when you cashed to the WSOP main, you or your dad?
1: So in the moment, dad was super bummed just for me personally. Not bummed that they busted, but just, you know, he's, he's a dad. He's, you know, he's a, he's a parent. But like that only lasted like two minutes, literally two minutes. And... After that, he was, like, on cloud nine. Me I and mean, I was pumped. Don't get me wrong. I was freaking excited. The night before, though, was when I had my big, like, adrenaline dump because the night before was when we made the money. That was when we cashed at, like, 2 a.m. Pacific time and actually got into the money. The next day... You know, when we planned that for for day four and we busted. that is when he, after that momentary, you know kind of like, oh man, this sucks for, for my son. Like right after that it was, holy shit, my son just made of you know, he just not only did he cash, but he made up a job and he was like, he was so proud Mom and dad both were like on Cloud nine, even to this day he remembers exactly the number of entrants in that year's main event and the exact position that I finished. And me, like, I also had to ask him, like, how many were there? What, what place exactly did I get? Like, me, I remember the, the I, I remember I made a jump, and I remember that I had this massive adrenaline dump at the end of day three, we made the money and you know, Eiffel announced that you know the bubble had broken and everybody was excited. You know, everybody that made the money was like, Yes, we made it, you know, let's go. and my my table at the end of the day on day three was super fun. It had some really, really cool players. People that I actually still interact with and talk with today. And everybody was just obviously excited for themselves. They were as excited as I was, not only for themselves, but also that, you know, hey, dreams are still possible because if I was able to, you know, do this and and you know make this achievement, then that kind of gave no one else an excuse. Yeah, it was neat to be in that that celebratory atmosphere
0: yeah i mean such an incredible proud moment and that's why i think that events with so much hype and history like the main event are are beautiful because in reality it feels like it's more than a zero-sum game and that when you care so much about a poker tournament and you cash it's like not just you but people in your life are just like so overjoyed for you now i do want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about range trainer pro now, i did sign up and i am a chess player so i'm can say that in chess we are very well versed in using these types of like immediate feedback tools right like all of the major chess websites have these different programs that you can use to test yourself in your tactics or end games or openings with ranger trainer pro you're basically allowing people to either buy a pack of ranges or input their own and then test themselves on the appropriate actions And, you know, be able to drill themselves on, say, like 50 or 100 iterations in just a matter of like a minute. Exactly. So I think it's a great idea. I enjoy working with it. And I like just this kind of concept of uh, training tools in poker that allow these these feedbacks. Can you just give us an example of playing your own ranges in a way that Range Trainer Pro would maybe teach you something about a combo that you would normally do the wrong thing with. But after enough iterations, you were able to like retrain yourself.
1: You did an excellent you know, kind of breakdown of what it is. And we use solved GTA ranges that are from uh, a site called Learn Pro The site that the animal with that, that ran with plant is the Toadshed, And so all the ranges that we, we sell and make like available, um, if you don't want to input your own those ranges, and those are the ones that I end up uploading into the system. And because of that, it is insane the number of times I've uploaded these ranges, and then like, wait, that can't be right. And I double-check it, not only is it correct, but it prompts me to ask questions. Why is this this way? What is causing a really good example is... Hands like King-6 and King-7 suited being 3 that bluff's push up at really high frequencies, and it didn't make sense to me. I didn't understand the logic behind why that was the case, and I started doing some investigations and simulations independently in tools like Lettile, and it turned down to the fact that there are a few combinations of King X that people are opening ahead of you, and you know, obviously Ace X, It's much easier to be dominated than it is with the King X, and obviously suited is always going to add more playability post flop. And then in addition to that, the idea that these six and seven X condos are able to make. More, like, weird midland straights but like, you know, a, a four-card straight that are going to be good more often. And then even further beyond that, being able to make, like, on on seven or six-side boards or boards where the seven and the six or like, second pair, now you have a pair, at least, um, top pair or second pair, with essentially the strongest uh, ticker. You know, obviously technically uh, second strongest, but it's hard for people to have all that many A7 or A6 condos that open ahead of you. And, like, all of these things aren't what you would normally anticipate. Like, none of the things I just went through, I think people would instinctually no. You know, you have to like see it and then go, wait, what the hell? And then figure out why those hands are like that. Why the simulations are telling us we should play those hands.
0: Yeah, I love that. I mean it reminds me of one of my more esoteric um, you know, simulation oddities that sometimes come out that Sixes is, like, a, often a favored hand over sevens because if the other guy has an ace and it, it comes out two, three, four, five, the sixes makes the uh the not, not straight. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of, like, weird sims where the, the sixes beat the sevens. Usually not the eights. That's too many pips. Too many pips higher.
1: But you yeah, exactly right. It's one of those situations where if you, A, don't see the information, um, which obviously that is what the, the program is designed to do. It's designed to help you see the information and prompt questions, prompt mm. uh, curiosity. And, and then in addition to that, and I, I guess more primarily, it's designed to take the information that you have, either that you've provided by inputting your ranges or that you've purchased, by purchasing ranges, it's designed to take that information and ingrain it into your subconscious so you're not wasting mental energy on things that should be second nature or muscle memory, if you will. Um, Because at the end of the day, the brain, in my opinion, is a muscle. And uh, if we can put those kind of like Things that we should know instinctually into our muscle memory, into our, our defaults, then we save mental energy for tougher situations. We're trying to decide how many dwarf condos someone can have on ten four four ten three, for example. Um, and, and decide whether we should call. Just
0: as an aside, as I was playing with Range Trainer Pro, and I was playing a cutoff range, um, I believe at a pretty deep uh, stack depth, I believe it was the, the highest one you have, which is 100 bigs. The one I got wrong was ace four off, which is mostly a fold. And that's just so funny because I'll double check that after, but I'm pretty sure that one was a fold and I had put it. I had raised with it. Or I I saw that in the chart later that it was a fold, and that's that's just funny because of course that was the hand that, um, you know you were primarily representing in this <laughs> in this very um, hand of the grid.
1: And that's the thing that i means right now because contrary to popular belief, I don't have every single hand memorized, and that is just goes to show you that even people who make the day in the app. Uh, don't have all of it memorized, which would tell you a little bit about even some of the best players in the world might not have every single hand memorized, but you're exactly right. Ace-5 off is 100% frequency. Ace-6 off is only uh, 20% open, and every other off-suit ace isn't open. But 4 and on down, not an open from the class. A hundred... Big Blend specifically. You can check
0: that out at rangetrainer.app and of course Highlands89 on Twitter. Those are probably the two best places to find you, right? You're also often doing seminars and live streams at um, Learn Pro Poker and you've also got your Twitch channel that's also Highlands89, right? Uh, high Hands. High Hands, sorry. High Hands89, not Highlands. I don't know where I came up with that. I think it was the L, the L in your name. <laughs> I know the Irish
1: descent, so it makes sense. Um, but, yeah, no, uh, it is high-end, and, yeah, you can catch me on Twitter, where I'm usually making, uh, random inappropriate jokes and the occasional poker Twitter banter. And then, obviously, I am 100% biased, but I'm also very confident that anyone who wants to get better at poker, absolutely check out... Uh, my app. uh, Hopefully it will be valuable to you. And then if you want to learn more about how to apply the theory principles, check out LearnProPoker.com.
0: Thank you so much. High Hands 89. I got it right that time. K.L. Cleeton. on jack seven suited and a a pretty epic hand that I think everyone can relate to and retains its strategic richness. Even years later, with the jack seven suited clicking off that key combo for us on the grid. Thank you so much. KL Cleeton, jack seven suited. Thank you so much for listening to the Poker Grid. Go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast network. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. We also really appreciate your reviews and ratings. They really do help. We also have a new mailing list, so go ahead and subscribe to that on thepokergrid.com slash subscribe. Finally, if you're looking for a way to support me and my projects, I'm the women's program director at US Chess, and we're trying to equalize the field in the mind sports arena. You can go to uschess.org and pick a donation of any size. I'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to The Poker Grid as we count down 169 hands. No, I never bust, they say I'm lucky, oh no, no
1: need to bluff, with all the cheap tricks up my sleeve, yeah, I got talent, you won't see me, see me stunting, no, never, never stagger, believe it, I'm the real thing.